actually, before I, I get going any further, I actually have something I wanted to, to uh, walk through and uh, clear up a little bit. So um, I had Nathan, my friend that filled in for me last week. Love him. I'm so thankful for him. And he was, uh, he was amazing. But he, got, he was concerned that something that he said could have been taken out of contact or, or taken the wrong way. And so I wanted to clear it up for him. One of the things he said, he was talking through just uh, as, uh, as we can live outside of uh, what God wants for us, that we'll let fear decide things for us. And one of the things that he said was um, sometimes people will just sit around and sit inside of loveless marriages um, because of this, you know, just the uh, fear of, of doing what God's called them to do. And he was afraid what might have been taken from that was what he's saying is, therefore, just get divorced and, and leave a loveless marriage. And I want to make sure I clear this up. He was very concerned about this as well. Uh, that is not what he was saying. His answer to that was, if you're in a loveless marriage and you want to do what God's called you to do, you want to live inside of the, the, the scary thing God's called you to do, be the one that changes it. Be the one that steps in to create a loving environment in your marriage. Be the one that steps into leading into making it what God wants it to be for you. So that's what, I want to make sure that that's abundantly clear for what he was saying and what, what we believe and what, that, uh, what we're meaning here by this is uh, I know that's a lot of people. In fact, I would say lots of marriages, maybe even every marriage, has at times felt loveless. And the answer to that is not to say, okay, well, I guess I'm done. It's go pursue your spouse and the love that Christ fills you with and change it. Walking in courage and faithfulness to what God wants for you. Okay, got that there. So um, I want to get started. If you want to, you can turn with me to Acts chapter 10. We're going to be starting in verse 34 today. But uh, before I do, I want to say this. Um, so believe it or not, I'm, I think I've said this a bunch before, but... Um, so I was always really small. Uh, I was a small kid uh, growing up. I, when I was in uh, going into high school, I, I was uh, I, I think I was four foot eleven, something like that. Weighed about sixty pounds. I was tiny. I was about Sully size going into high school. So uh, uh, leading up through this, all the way through uh, uh, my childhood, I was not picked very often to be on sports teams. Anybody ever had that experience? You know what day I hated in elementary school when we played kickball in gym. I hate it. You want to know why? There'd be team captains and they get to pick one at a time. Guess who typically got picked last? This guy loved it so much. Uh, although there was one day, this is, uh, I wish I had lots of stories like this. Like I proved everybody, this, this never happened, but this did happen one time. Sixth grade, I was uh, last one picked on this team. There's two outs and I was up to kick and uh, there's uh, kids on base and we were going to lose the game. And uh, this kid behind me was like, let me kick in front of you. You're going to get this guy out. You're going to lose the game. And I was like, no, it's my turn. <laughs> and I kicked the home run. I think it's the only one I'd ever kicked. Uh, that's where you kicked above the pipes on the, at Stewart's gym. So you kicked it, you know, as long as they hit the wall above the pipes, it's the home run. And I was like, it was the best moment ever. I still got picked last um, from that point forward. It didn't matter. Uh, There's there no changing where I was. You see, I got picked last because I wasn't, I didn't fit the mold of what you wanted for an athlete, Right. I was small, I was weak, I was slow, I had no athletic abilities, so I wasn't the one picked. In this passage, we're going to see God choosing a group of people that absolutely no one else wanted included on the team. So if you're turning with me to Acts chapter 10, I'm going to start in verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. 
Uh, let's break that down a little bit. So partiality is a word that means one who unjustly treats one person better than another. So we have to clear this up. So Peter's saying, I, I, I finally understand this. God doesn't do that. He doesn't treat one person unfairly better than another because no one deserves God's grace. He doesn't just like somebody better because they've done better things. Look at who he chooses in his word to accomplish his will. The people he picks constantly are ones that we would not choose to lead things. God's not choosing favorites. And he says uh, that he, he shows no partiality, but in every nation. So that word nation is the Greek word ethnos. It's where we get our, our uh, word ethnicity. Uh, it's the largest unit into which people of the world are divided on the basis of their constituting a socio-political community. So the, the, the world back then was divided up into these ethnos, right? These groups of people that were, they spoke the same language, they lived in the same area, and they had the same customs. That's what made you an ethnos. And there have always been uh, divisions among people in the world for thousands of years, right? We've had these divisions based on you're that kind of person, we're this kind of person. For much of this time, it was based on which of these ethnos you belong to. So if you spoke this language and dressed this way and held to these customs, you were that person. That's who you were. And you could choose to be a part of different ones, right? Uh, we, we saw uh, early in Acts, an Ethiopian was a Jewish man. He was a proselyte, and so he got to choose to be a part of the Jewish ethnos, even though he wasn't born into it. But what you were a part of, that's what you're part of. And with the Jewish people, they looked at every other ethnos and said, they're all bad. We're good. God likes us. He picked us. They're all bad. But what we know from the, the command and the, the uh, covenant that God made with Abraham, from the beginning of creating the Israelite people, God's desire was to bless the nations. And the Jewish people forgot that. They thought, we're blessed and we're good and we're here just to make sure we look down on all of them. He says, among in any nation, anybody who fears God. That word means to have profound reverence and respect with the implication of awe bordering on fear. We don't use that word often. I know I've talked about this before, but we don't talk about the fear of God very often. And I think it's sad because I think we have stopped as a culture living in fear of God, living in awe of God. I think many times what we functionally treat God as is either, either a uh, magical genie who can give us the things we want. Like I'm sure some of you who prayed to win a billion dollars a couple of days ago. Or we treat him like he's our personal servant. Waiting just to, to come. God, come and do this for me. Do this for me. Help me this. And we've lost this fear, this awe, this respect, this reverence of just looking at him and realizing he is the God of all creation. And yet he chooses to be with us. So anyone who fears God and does what is right. This could be a little bit confusing, right? Does this mean that we work for our salvation? So anybody that uh, has this fear of God and does right things that they deserve salvation? No, this is not what this means. Because we know, uh, uh, Isaiah says, our works apart from Christ 
are like filthy rags, right? The best I can possibly do on my own is like a filthy rag. But Christ does save us for good works, right? Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. John 14, 23 and 24 says, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. So here's the thing. When Christ saves us, he is saving us to be different people, to walk in his commandments, to walk in the way that he's created us, to, to newly created us to walk. He's created us again for these good works to be a people that stand out by our character, by our behavior and by our choices. It is making a mockery of Christ to claim faith in him while living in love with sin. So anybody who fears God and does what is right is acceptable. That word means pertaining to that which is pleasing in view of its being acceptable. This does not mean that we make ourselves acceptable to God for salvation. It means that he makes us acceptable. So what he's saying is even the worst of us. Even these dirty Gentiles that have never loved God, never deserved him. They're not part of the people. They didn't follow the covenants. They were not following the rules. They're not uh, following, uh, especially the covenant of circumcision. They're not doing the right things. Even then, God's saying, I'm making you acceptable for salvation. I'm offering a gift even to you. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace uh, through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So they... This word was going around. It's preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. That word peace means harmony, tranquility. And it's supposed to point us back to the Old Testament concept of shalom, which is welfare, health, and freedom from worry. Does anybody in here need peace? Anybody struggling? outside of peace. As I've studied this week, I've been convicted so much that I have got to be praying more often for peace in Christ. Because you know what I typically do when I struggle with worry and fear and busyness and anxiety and all these things is I'll try to create my own peace. Anybody do that? You'll try to find whatever fix you can. Like, I'll go read or I'll watch this TV show or I'll go do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. I'll, I'll, I'll fix that problem. I'll do this thing. I'll do this stuff and that will give me peace. Church, we can't do enough to gain peace because peace only comes from Christ. It's not what we can do. And we've got to be preaching the gospel of 
peace in Christ. It says, I love, there's a little parenthetical statement. He is Lord of all. Lord is the Greek word kurios, which means one who exercises supernatural authority over all of mankind. So what salvation is, is it is faith. Faith is, it's believing. It's believing that Christ is exactly who he said he was. And who Christ says he was, says he is, is the Lord of all creation. He says he's doing this to people who have been oppressed. He's going to set free, heal the people who are oppressed by the devil. The word oppressed means to cause serious trouble to, with the implication of dire consequences and probably a weakened state. Church, we're still being oppressed by the devil. He is still the liar that he has been since the Garden of Eden where he lied to Eve and to Adam. If there's anything that our church or churches in America have struggled with is that we have quickly become very uh, functionally unbelieving of what the Bible says. Because the Bible says that Satan's real, correct? But then we functionally live every day as if we have no actual enemy. We functionally walk out unprepared, unarmored, and pretend like our only battle is to go out and just try to be better than yesterday. But the word says we have an enemy whose desire is our destruction. He's trying to destroy us. He is oppressing and he is hurting. And our healing can only come from Christ, from resting and hiding in him, from pursuing and being near him. Because as we stray from Christ as we live our lives trying to do the right things and uh, do enough to get peace. I'm going to earn my peace. I'm going to earn my good things. We're putting ourselves in positions of weakness and isolation where Satan attacks the most. And church, we have to stop trusting in ourselves. Let's continue. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. So Peter's saying, hey, we're we're witnesses. This is ones who are, are a witness like in a courtroom and they testify. They were called to tell the world about what they had heard and seen in Jesus Christ. They had to be, tell the world they know that this was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, come to earth, living a perfect life and then murdered on a tree, on the cross. But God, this... Christ that was murdered rose from the dead in three days and came to these people that he had chosen. That word chosen, it it means to choose for a particular purpose in advance. So Christ chose these disciples. I don't know if you, I mean, we've studied this a good bit. Do you know that none of us would have picked almost any of the disciples? They were insane. These guys were some of, I mean, they, they didn't get it, right? 
I mean, Peter, up to the very end of Christ's ministry, cuts somebody's ear off to try to protect Christ because he's not, he's not getting who Jesus is. You have Judas, you have Matthew, the tax collector, you have Simon, the zealot, the one who wants to just overthrow Rome. You have all of these people that none of us would have picked. But even before any of this happened, Jesus said, no, that's, that's my team. Will you give others the same chance that Christ does? People that don't look like what you think they should look like. People that don't talk the way you talk or dress the way you dress. Will you try to see them the way that Christ does? And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So Christ commanded this. This means to announce what must be done. Now we see this command in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go therefore, this is one of the last things that Jesus says to his disciples. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Here's what's interesting. They were commanded to bring this message to the nations from the beginning, right? Jesus himself said, go to the nations making disciples. But they did not get it all the way up here until Acts 10, when Jesus makes it abundantly clear by sending an angel to Cornelius, by sending his, uh, an angel and the spirit telling a, a vision to, to Peter and the spirit telling him, go talk to Cornelius. And then finally, Peter's like, oh, I get it. I get it. They're okay. He really does want to save the nations. I thought he was just saying the nations is in like, they might be able to come and hang out with us. But he said, he sees now Christ wants them to go. And he's, I think he's remembering the command, go to the nations with the gospel. It says to him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Everything in the old Testament points to Christ. Everything Cornelius had read in the Old Testament pointed him to Christ. And anyone who believes in Jesus is forgiven of their sins. This word believe, it's the Greek word, it's from the, the, the basic Greek word of pistos, and that means faith. We're translating believe because we have the word faith as a noun. We don't use it as a verb very often, but, or actually never, but that's what this really means. It means that they faith in Christ to believe to the extent of complete trust and reliance and reliance. This means that they have faith that Christ is exactly who he says he is, that he can do exactly what he says he can do. And they allow, they, they, they receive this gift of change and salvation and forgiveness and it's important that we, we see this, that they receive forgiveness of sins. 
The reason for that is we can't do it on our own. I can't get forgiveness. I can't be good enough to get forgiveness. I'm still not good enough to get forgiveness. I've been a Christian for many years now, but that does not change anything about what I can do on my own. I have to receive forgiveness as a gift from Christ. He has to be the one giving it to us. Let's continue verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Okay, so Peter's giving a, a, a just condensed version of the gospel. Jesus came, he was murdered, he rose from the dead, and he is the one who is in heaven judging everyone, but also being the one that can offer forgiveness from sin to all who believe. While he's saying this, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard. That word fell means to fall upon or to embrace. It's somebody running up and, and just grasping you. Formally, it means like grabbing somebody around their neck. Anybody, a parent, when you come home and you have a kid that just runs up and just loves you? Some of you are like, no, my, my kids don't like me that much. Um, that's okay. Sometimes mine like me. Sometimes they do. Crockett is one of my ones that's, uh, you guys know him. He is, a, he is a very affectionate little boy. Love him. When I come home, he comes running. He wants to tackle me, jump on me, and give me the biggest hug. That's the kind of word that's being used here. The Holy Spirit came and embraced these dirty Gentiles. So these Gentiles that a Jewish person wasn't even allowed to go eat with, go sit in the house of, be anywhere near. The people were like, no, you're dirty and I'm clean. And then God, the Holy Spirit comes and hugs them, falls on them and hugs their necks. Is that not beautiful? So the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. This isn't just because they heard the word, but because they had faith in Christ. They believed. They believed the word. The word is logos, the content of what is preached about Christ, because Christ is the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. We're amazed, amazed means to cause someone to be so astounded as to be practically overwhelmed. Anybody thinks that some of these Jewish people were uh, amazed in a not so great way? Anybody think that some of them might have been a little bit jealous, a little bit offended, a little bit angry? They show up, they're coming with Peter like, why in the world are we going to Cornelius's house? He is a Roman centurion. We hate the Romans. We certainly hate the Roman military. And he's a Gentile. Why are we going here? And then as they're hearing Peter tell, tell about Jesus, they're like, okay, yeah, you're telling the story. And then all of a sudden they witness the Holy Spirit loving these dirty Gentiles. I think amazed is probably exactly what they were. It was not expected for the Holy Spirit to be poured out on anybody other than the Jewish people because they thought they were the only ones God chose. How often do we functionally live the same way 
as them. Now, I'm not saying anybody in this room would say, I don't want uh, Jesus to save anybody else. I I don't think anybody would say that. But how often do we live week after week after week completely content with, I'm gonna show up here on Sunday and I'm happy with whoever shows. I'm perfectly content with the ones I already have. And we don't walk out to our community with the gospel on our lips. And what that means is functionally, we don't care if Christ saves another soul. Because if we care, we have to do something about it. For they are hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. 1 Corinthians 14, 20 through 21 tells us about what speaking in tongues was for at this time. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So this is from a prophecy in the Old Testament where tongues were meant to condemn the Jewish people that rejected God. They were going to be invaded by the Babylonians who didn't even speak their language. And by the strange tongues, they were going to see God's judgment of Israel for not for rejecting him. And then these strange tongues by the Gentiles were to be uh, were, were to bring conviction to those who would would reject Jesus Christ. Christ. 